Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, welcome to the 388th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Matthew Jenikoff, Emilio Torres, and Matt Mendoza. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have Rebecca Niles on the podcast. She is the managing director at Art Class Content, the production company whose roster I'm on. She's the one that convinced me to join them. And I've learned a lot of stuff from working with her, and we tried to bring as much of that stuff to this interview as we can. Uh, I think we really focus on what a production company can do for directors, why directors are important for that company, and most importantly, what kind of directors Rebecca looks for to represent, Mm -hmm. and they're the kind of directors that she can figure out how to sell, how to get jobs, how to win work, and how to hopefully make a career out of directing, so... I think this will be like a really useful informational episode. This is a great conversation. And at first blush, I think it's going to feel very specific to Oren and Rebecca's relationship. But first of all, I think Rebecca felt very familiar to me. Like there is an archetype that she personifies where it's like a, a driven, smart, ambitious person who's really articulate, just makes sense in the world of advertising and makes sense as a producer, right? So even though it is very, she's a unique snowflake, I think a lot of producers share her views and opinions. And then frankly, we kind of crack open, uh, not to say that she doesn't have her own important insights so that we dig into, but then we crack open some of her her beliefs and ideas about the relationship between a, a producer or a production company and a director that are very frank and very clear-headed to me and i think that rebecca's kind of willing to tell it like it is quote unquote and it's a really refreshing conversation because i think that so often as a director you're treated with kid gloves a little bit you know and yeah, so you're a sensitive vulnerable mm-hmm. artist and so it's nice to just have that conversation about in the abstract some of the things that we often are feeling and the way that they are reciprocated by people who get what we're going through and understand where we are and are like, listen, I'm busy trying to change that circumstance for you. So we get it. Don't worry about it. I think it was a really great conversation for sure. Yeah. And I do think one of Rebecca's special skills and why she's so successful at getting business and people to work with her and get excited about the things she's excited about is 
She does have an ability to when she talks to you, you feel like you know her. You know, you've talked to her before. Mm -hmm. You understand Mm -hmm. where you're going. You feel like you're already on the same team. And I do think that that quality translates to, um, you know, collaborating and working with other people and getting work really well. So it's interesting that you felt like she felt familiar to you because even the very first time I talked to her, I had that same feeling and it Mm -hmm. was very much like, oh, she's kind of speaking my language and knows what I care about and knows what insight I need in order to improve my career. So I don't know. I'm a fan. And also in case Rebecca's mom is listening. Hello. She mentioned that you might be listening. Shout out Rebecca's mom. Releasing this episode extra early just so you don't have to wait around for it. Okay. So hi, Rebecca's mom. Um, well, without further delay, let's talk a little bit about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It Pod is the place where you can throw us a buck or two uh, to keep this show going. We've got a lot of big plans. We started talking about that live show. It's coming in October. I'm going to say it out loud. So we're held accountable. Halloween live show. I was thinking while we had Rebecca on, we should have like a see which production company wants to host live show oh that's interesting a, a battle of the podcos maybe yeah. we get a little triple bid going see who wants to throw a little yeah maybe they can send us a little deck telling us yeah. to promote their production company yeah want us to throw a few modellos and um some uh lacroix our way maybe who knows that could be cheap cool. pizza yeah <laughs> or expensive pizza or, Matt, or expensive Matt pizza depending <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> we no need money are. for all this stuff. <laughs> so, uh, no, but honestly, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod is where anything you give us there, a dollar, $25, you're having an especially good job. Maybe you did an awesome job because you listened to the podcast on your way to set. And now you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars extra from <laughs> from the insight you gleaned. Uh, and you just want to you know, donate it uh, for tax purposes. Uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. I'm not a financial advisor. If you want to be in the loop on upcoming special events like our live shows, um, go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod to keep tabs. Anyway, uh, without further delay, let's hop into our conversation with Rebecca Niles from Art Class. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, we are here with Rebecca Niles, the managing director of art class and uh, someone that I have uh, started talking to quite a lot over the last few months. I'd say at least once a month. Um, once a month, once a day. <laughs> As a person, Rebecca, I talk to Oren pretty regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I know it's more than once a month. <laughs> yeah, no, obviously I'm kidding. We talk all the time. Rebecca is like kind of like my EP, but I don't know. I don't know. I want you to I want you to define all the yeah, things. Yeah, and, and let's start um, with what's your official title at Art Class? Yeah, so my official title at Art Class is Managing Director, Executive Producer. So I am not only kind of your mm-hmm. EP. You're literally yeah. his EP. I'm not only yeah. kind of your EP, or and I'm literally your your EP. I'm also the managing director, but it's it's a bit of a dual role. Gotcha. Yeah. So what's the what's the difference for people that don't know? And and just to be clear, Art Class is a production company that primarily produces commercials, right? In North yes. America. Yes. In North America, we primarily produce commercials. Um, Elsewhere, we produce a lot of other things, which we'll get to. <sighs> the difference between a managing director and an executive producer, um, as MD, I also overlook kind of just everything about the company. So the main difference between a managing director and executive producers, as MD, I'm overseeing the overall health of the company, how we stand out in the marketplace, the overall roster, the staff. So everything from how how we're doing this month on a financial point of view, communicating with the reps, making large decisions such as like the staffing plan, bringing on freelancers and the overall roster of directors. So as an EP, you may represent like a handful of directors on an overall roster and you may be looking over a slew of jobs at one time. As MD, I look over everything. So I have my hands in just about all of the different things going on from individual jobs and pitch, jobs that are in production, jobs that are wrapping, moving over to post, uh, plus all of our marketing, and then just overall company vibes in general. Yeah. So basically, every, yeah, everything. So how do you have, (laughs) how do you have, like, is it hard to, (laughs) to have? No. All the directors. Incredibly easy. It's, all it's, the re- it's, all it's the, the reps, easiest thing I've ever stuff. done. Yeah, no, it, it's pretty easy. I, I don't really answer everyone. Um, I just leave everyone on red and I just, you know, do my thing. No, it, it's definitely, it's, 
I would say that my passion about each director and what I do really drives me because it is a kind of never ending to do list. And to know that just producing in general is kind of just an uphill battle all the time. And knowing to like, I've learned over the years to live amongst the chaos and, and not fool myself to think I can do it all and have it all. It changes every day of kind of feeling like I've accomplished a lot or I've left some people needing more from me. Um, but if I wasn't as passionate about each director or love commercials as much as I do, or even just love advertising, I think it would be a hell of a lot harder. Um, I really love it. And I feel committed to kind of everyone in general. And that's a combination of wanting my name to be associated with doing great work and the company name as well. But I mean, just like genuinely really caring about each director and the journey and knowing what what a mission it is for for people to come over to art class and me to make that that promise to them that we're going to work together and I'm going to give it my all and really dig in together. So sometimes it can be daunting, um, especially when we have a lot of different jobs happening that are of different levels of, of minutia and logistics. And especially when the jobs range mm-hmm. a lot in, in their needs, it, it can be a big task, but it's really fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I know a lot of people in the commercial world that have desires to kind of do other things. Um, sometimes commercials can be like the bastard child of, of media you know, I really want to do features. I really just want to do TV, but I'll do commercials for now. At this point, I really love doing them. And and I find, I don't just kind of like a joy and a sense of accomplishment that at the end of each evening, when I'm wrapping up my day and planning for the next day, that I've like left it all on the table. Like I've done it all. I've answered everyone. Everyone knows that I'm there if they really need me. And I have another day waiting for me. I, I love that so much. And I feel like, uh, over the last few months, we've talked to a lot of people who are really passionate about advertising. Rebecca, how did you fall in love with commercials? I probably don't have the same love for you in a way of advertising in general as like a craft and an art. I don't have any kind of encyclopedic knowledge of of old commercials or anything like that. I really enjoy the task at hand of creating something quickly Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. a premium level um, with a lot all happening at once as opposed to filmmaking and and pilot season. And I'm in development with the script and things like that, that I don't like to wait. I like to do things quite quickly and get people together, get them employed, get them on set, get the money in, get the money spent. Um, So I think from from a commercials POV, I like that there's money. I like that it happens quickly. I like that we kind of get immediate feedback. It's not so much of like, oh, so-and-so has my script for a while Mm -hmm. or or that we're kind of getting fluff back from either the studio or or other folks involved. It's all quite Mm -hmm. immediate. We find out, okay, you're shortlisted or you're not. You're the recommend for this job or you're not. This is the budget and you're over, so you have to come come lower. So I love just the overall process of commercials and I love how many people I get to bring together. And how much I kind of get to influence working with the director of who the team is going to be, what it should look like, how we should pitch it, how we should approach it logistically and financially. Um, so I don't have like a nerd love for commercials. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I see some and like, I love them, no but a lot of times. Yeah, no, and it's fine. I don't think <laughs> anyone wants me to be. And that's the thing too. I think focus on me kind of selling and doing mm-hmm. my thing. And of course, references, yes. And, you know, even if I don't know a reference, if I'm on a call and they ask me if I know it, hell mm-hmm. yeah, I do. I grew up watching that, all of that. <laughs> I Google it later, it's fine. But right. I wouldn't say I fell in love with advertising as an art or a craft. If I would just give my own personal insight on Rebecca, I do feel like there is something about 
the competition mm-hmm. and, the, oh, yeah. and the race and the it's like a, like where creativity meets cutthroatedness mm-hmm. but on a day-to-day basis it's not like a feature like you're saying like oh we just made an offer to you know jenna ortega and it's between our movie and another movie that she's going to do this fall it's like not like and then you wait four months you know and then she decides not to do either one um it's like, hey, it's going to be one of these three companies and you're in the running, like impress us. Um, you know, it's like and the we'll most frustrating hours. thing about yeah. commercial filmmaking by far. The like do all this free work for us. But I feel like you there is something in you that's like you love like having all the plates spinning and then landing as many as possible without breaking them. Very much so. I think I can either go 120 miles an hour or zero. Like I don't do very well when there's just a few things sizzling, which is why I love how quickly art classes has grown and how many jobs that we have going on and all of that. Because I just I can I can handle so much at once and and kind of find the competitive edge. And and even when I'm bringing directors over to the roster, I can say hi. Mm-hmm. What are you working on currently? Why don't you come over here? <laughs> like I did with Orin for a month straight. But yes, absolutely. The competition and the, the, the feedback too. When we lose a job, I make sure that I chat with the agency pr- producer extensively. Mm-hmm. Like, why did we lose? Who did we lose to? What are that other? Like there's nothing more than I love than seeing another production company's treatment and bid package. Not to like criticize it or anything, just to learn of how the competition is doing it and that for me is like mm-hmm. gold like i would sit and watch other people's treatments and read other people's bid packages on a friday before i would sit and like watch like a, a classic film that maybe all the directors are upset that i've never seen mm-hmm. before <laughs> right i'm i'm gonna force myself to ask questions for our audience because i have like totally different questions that are like more my selfish Oren questions, but so why didn't Oren book the last thing he did? <laughs> no, no, I know, I know that answer. That one. Um, uh, no, I was gonna say you mentioned a couple times about why you like your job is just kind of being passionate about the directors that you have on the roster, and I think a lot of our listeners, um, you know, know about production companies in the commercial space, and I'd say I don't know if it's fifty fifty, but. We all know there's the production companies that have directors on the mm-hmm. roster, like the mm-hmm. Caviar and Smuggler and Tool and Opositive and Art Class. Um, and then there's the production companies that aren't really director-based. They're more like, hey, we're a production mm-hmm. company. We work with different directors, depending on who. I'm sure many, many of our listeners have their own production companies, especially all over the country and like different size markets and things. Like, why, why is it important to have like this director-first production company where when you go to the art class website it's like here's a list of our directors instead of here's our work oh you want to know who directed this yes yeah, some guy some girl some mm-hmm. like like tell me why uh thinking about the director rather than the production um, company think, yeah. yeah 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 is is like the strategy or like like why why that's a winning strategy i mean obviously as directors we like that <laughs> um so tell us why you as on the, as a producer like that yeah um for me it's all about the affiliation of who is committed to be part of the company and who that we have unfiltered access to um i would say for a company that's based in la and new york and doing the the level the caliber of work that we're doing agencies and brands that either know me or they know the brand or anything are expecting also that i know these directors that i'm putting forward 
uh, and that I've built uh, this team of people. It's the taste level. It's an understanding of the marketplace. It's to show the range of work that we can be doing. And it's also essentially like our market. It's, it's, it's what we're marketing out to, to people. And it's also my commitment to these directors to help grow. I can take it or leave it, but I feel like I can sniff out a freelance director's website from a mile away because it's a bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. I get to really take the, the directors that are on so my roster. you can go to mrmedano.com if you... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> For me, it's important to have my team, to have my team and to show agencies and all of that, that this is what art class is. This is who I'm the most passionate about. This is who I'm going to sell over someone that is freelance. This is who I'm committed to build a team around. And this is who you should really trust. And yes, I, of course, pitch freelancers from time to time when maybe the job is quite niche. I need to find someone that specializes in skateboarding or someone who has a bunch of different things on the on the roster that my roster doesn't that my roster doesn't show i've curated the roster to be a hybrid of comedy and culture so while our roots are very much in comedy there is a whole cultural aspect to of everything from fashion to tech to transitions to musicians to things like that that are also another important side of things um but we don't, there are certain things that I don't do well at, that I don't sell very well on like this advertising space in the, in the very kind of straightforward lifestyle mm-hmm. space that I don't feel a commitment is needed from that level of directors. Um, and there's certain directors too that don't need to be on a roster and there's production companies that don't want to staff up to, to really make sure that each director is cared for. Like, or as much as I speak to you, I speak to a majority of the rest of the roster and that entails having a team that is taking care of plenty of other things from the bidding to the accounting, to the treatments, to the marketing, to the social media, to the PR, to just about everything. So I need to staff up accordingly that maybe some smaller production companies or production companies that aren't ready to commit to that level of overhead don't want to have a roster or they're not, in as com- they're not in competitive pitches as much. When I'm working with an ad agency, it's a triple bid and those people want to see that they're on their roster. And even when I pitch a freelance director, sometimes they say like, you know, this person, I don't see them on your website. Um, things like that, that it is still a level of commitment that the agencies are seeking my trust in this director because I'm asking them to trust them with maybe sometimes half a million dollars, a million dollars. Like who is this person? Is it just a rando or is sure. it a, a, a person that you've committed? You found on? someone on, face, on Facebook. Um, yeah. W- what I'm hearing here <laughs> is that like as, as uh, directors level up and as production companies level up, um, more specialization is required, right? Like you can't be all things to all people. And so, or in sometimes the, the production companies that you're describing where maybe it's a filmmaker owned production company or something like that, they are doing all of the different, they're wearing all the different hats that Rebecca, you outlined, right? They're doing the accounting, they're doing, they're doing the layout for the treatment, they're building the website, all that stuff. But when you get into a more premium space, um, the skill level that's required is just uh, so high that it doesn't make sense for one person to be doing all of it, even if they have the appetite for it. Right. You're talking about like a smaller, smaller production company, company. Yeah, it's like you can like you can juggle. Whereas, like if you have a large roster and you have that overhead, it just makes sense to start staffing up. Like you were saying, Rebecca, I, I, I'm curious a little bit about you classified art class as um as a bit of a, a comedy specialty production company. 
and I think some of the other companies that we've talked to before tend to be a little bit more diverse is rather it's not, it's not just, they don't just do comedy. They do, they've got their advertising person. They've got their lifestyle person. They've got their, you know, motion graphics, mixed media person. And they have like a, a an eclectic roster. Right. But our class seems to be a little bit more focused. Um, what's the thinking behind staying in the lane of comedy more or less? And culture. And culture, right. Right. So we, well, well, we did start in the comedy space. The roster has diversified quite a bit where we do have a car duo, a VFX duo lifestyle. We do have quite a bit of that. It's just for me, when I'm looking at the other people to add to the roster, it's not random. They kind of need to be very special in that space and have a, a style of their mm-hmm. own as opposed to like a niche. Um, so as the the few comedy directors that we have have their own specialized version of comedy. Also what I look for when I'm building out the roster throughout other spaces, because I would say we're just as busy outside of the comedy space as we are in the comedy world. Um, I think that the this, this spots that maybe folks see or recognize are more in the comedy mm-hmm. space or our directors that are working a lot more um, are doing, and also comedy work just, is always abundant, especially in times of economic downturn and things like that. People just want to laugh or when budgets get cut, um, you kind of nix the experimental mm-hmm. things and you just want people to feel kind of safe and fun. Yeah, and two that. actors making so jokes is pretty roster, safe, right? Yeah. Yes. So when I'm building out the roster and I'm, I'm figuring out kind of what the niche is, a lot of it is like, what am I passionate about and what do I think that the market wants and why come to me for that where i see so much oversaturation in certain areas and i see even sometimes when i say oh we don't have someone like that but i think god do i care enough about this person to be able to get on with integrity behind my name and fight for this Mm -hmm. person because their style of work should beat out first however many folks were sent in and then on the shortlist should beat out two other people that as i'm building out the roster i need to like see an edge i need to really believe in them both on the pitch side, on the treatment side, on the call side, and then on the director side, plus plus they're real. So a lot of that is like figuring out like, why do I care about them? Because if I can't figure out how to really, really care, it's going to be almost impossible for me to transfer that care mm-hmm. onto someone else or to dedicate the time that's needed to them. That's like a thing. I mean, I've kind of like slowly learned it over the years in different ways. And I think like you really helped me learn it also is that as a director you need to be able to easily have other people care about you and trust mm-hmm. you behind you um, yeah. in a way yeah we had this uh guest on years ago who talked about pitching the pitch um like when you're pitching a tv show to an executive you need to pitch it in a way where they know how to pitch it to the next person and that person knows how to pitch it to the next person so you're pitching them a pitch and uh, like a lot of directors don't realize that like if they want to have an EP behind them or a producer behind them, they need to give that person or even a manager, an agent, they need to give that person the materials the to sell them yeah. with. Yeah. And so if, if you're like not super passionate about yourself and don't know how to pitch yourself, like it's probably other people won't know how to pitch you. Though that said, I feel like you art classes pitched me um, a couple of times and like, you know, I had on my website, if you go there, there's like no dogs. And the very first job I got with art class was had like 10, like all these different vignettes with dogs. 
And then we also pitched on this project. We ended up not getting it, but we were close. I think the Peppa Pig thing, um, where it was a kid's thing. And, you know, I have kids. I love kids. I worked at Disney. I've done all this kid stuff. But if you look at my website, there's like no real kids on there. And I was like, I don't know how you're going to build a reel of kid stuff because all my kid stuff is so old. And then I just, just the way you position the reel, like the first image you put, kind of my bio and my breakdown. And then I have like that one country time lemonade spot. And then you just, with me personally, I feel like you figured out ways to pitch me in ways that I would mm-hmm. never have figured out myself. Like basically those two categories, kids and dogs. I would be like, yeah, I'm probably not the director for you, though I love both of those things. And you're like, yeah, you are like, <laughs> and here's, here's, yeah. and we, and you, which it, I think you know? when with uh, emerging directors, oftentimes, you know, we talk about trying to put yourself in a little bit of a box so that you're a clear yes. When the right project comes along, that younger directors are want to be like, well, yeah, of course I could do kids and dogs and I can direct anything. Right. And so it's funny, Oren, to see you, you kind of, you've come around to be like, well, only pitch me for this very narrow, narrow na- niche. But Rebecca, I'm curious about what what are the things you do when you're approaching a new director like like you were for Warren, where you're trying to unlock the potential, see the different things, see the things that they don't see in themselves from a from a pitch or work perspective, right? Like obviously Warren's confident in himself and he can talk about himself for about 356 episodes of a podcast, but like you saw him in a different light. And I would love to learn how you did that. Yes, I felt that Oren's reel had enough ammunition for me to back up any kind of claim, whether it was delusional Mm -hmm. or not. I was going in there with enough premium work and an understanding of Oren and his background and how fantastic he is on the call and how great his work was that Sure, maybe pitching you for an all dog spot wasn't the path of least resistance, but my ability to speak about how much quality and care you'll put into it and just how great you are and how you can take on a variety of different things, especially looking at some of your work that has this kind of a crazy chaos. And we'll get to like the big expensive wide shots, is which drew me to Warren in, in general. But being able to look at all of that, as opposed to being a younger director, like, well, I can do anything. It's like, well, sure, you you can. I mean, maybe so can I, you know, if I had an EP just throwing me up for jobs that are awarding, maybe I could figure it out, too. It's more so of taking all of the different things that Oren had done across his reel and showing a real mixture of things, plus the trust that they had in me to say, I, I vouch for him and I do feel like he could do this. And then just us, me knowing him on a personal level of his background and understanding some of the jobs that he had done previously and knowing the journey of those. But that one, I did have to get on with the client and say, listen, there aren't any dogs on here, but OMG, you'd be crazy to not chat with him about this. He's going to be so passionate about it. And I mean, before we even got on with the client, I knew that what I had done was right when I saw Oren's background, which normally was just a plain windowsill, had a painting of a dog waiting for the client to notice in the mm-hmm. background. I said, okay, this is great. He gets it that we're selling and we're, we're mm-hmm. they're going to be our wait, clients. Wait, wait, so, we need to show like attention to So detail. just to clarify for the listeners at home, Oren normally on his Zoom background doesn't have any dog ephemera of any sort. He has, you know, a nice looking room. On occasion, there is a dog. Maybe there's the a dog in the background sniffing or... 
napping most likely but that's boring everyone right. has like an animal moving so, so you're saying Oren brought in the portrait of his dog into the background two, two portraits, portraits. And placed it on the windowsill in the back. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. hey, guys, look at this. It was just kind of like low key in the back enough to notice. But it wasn't so on the nose that it was corny. But I was just like, right on, man. You get it. <laughs> you you had the extra touch that I believe is so important for a director. And you also knew. You were like, I don't have a reel filled with this. And I feel like so often I'm... I'm contacted by directors that are like, well, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. I'm like, so can so many mm-hmm. other people. And it's more so understanding the connection that Oren and I had of even when I first found him online and we started chatting. And I just like, for me, it's so hard to even like really pontificate what it is exactly. I'm just like, when I know, mm-hmm. I know. And I saw Oren's work and I'm like, I don't know how else to explain it. I just know that you have to come work with me. And it, it was, I mean, Orin, you can speak about how, how manic I got on the phone with you. Or I'm like, I'm out of patience. Orin, just come. It's going to be great. We're going to work like crazy. It's not slow. Who was ever telling you it is slow? Incorrect. Just come. Um, <laughs> I raised my hand. Right. Well, there was- <laughs> sometimes I just know. Sometimes I just look at a director and I'm like, this is going to be quite a straightforward entrance into the marketplace via art class and then some directors i find and i say okay you're really talented and you're great we need to introduce you to the marketplace via the art class lens and with all of our backing and it'll take Mm -hmm. a minute because some people the market isn't dying for them yet but with a little bit of judging and and care and even um going through like the the client direct work that we get or the work where i have a bit more influence over the director then i can utilize that when i really believe in someone too Rebecca, you're so quick. You're so passionate. It's it's awesome. I can imagine listeners at home being like, how can I find my own Rebecca? Take us back a little bit to earlier before you two connected. How did you find Oren in the first place? And beyond just the specificity of his work in particular, how do you maybe like look for people um, generally speaking, and and maybe other examples of how other people look for things. How can people find their own Rebecca is what I'm getting at. I spend a lot of time researching on Vimeo, on Director's Library, on Instagram, on international production companies, roster, where I would say I put in a lot of time and commitment to researching great directors. I mean, I have a tab in my in my Chrome of a whole list of directors, ones that I'm keeping an eye on, ones that I've kept an eye on for five years, 10 years, things like that, that I've reached out to, that we've known each other socially, that I say, hey, in a few more years, you know, let's connect, let's at least be in touch now. And if something, you know, very specific for you comes up, but I don't feel the need to represent you exclusively right now. I look for directors that really care about how they present themselves online, especially if they're in the commercial space to build themselves as a brand. Um, whether that's like a, an interesting Instagram or a well-done website or anything like that, people that are a bit like in the mix of the community too. Who do they follow on Instagram? Who follows them? Mm. What kind of jobs are they posting? What kind of things are they choosing to post on Instagram? Um, that's a will, lot of the people say, that I find are, are from research. One time pretty close to after I started working with you, you were on a set with some other directors that I, I don't think they were on the roster, but they had mentioned to you like, Oh, Oren, we like, we know that guy. 
And you're like, hey, I'm working with these directors. And they say they know you. And I was like, I have no idea who they were. And then you ask them and they're like, oh, they listen to your oh, podcast. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And so, and so I feel like that was like a little bit of yeah, a little, little cred. bit of filmmaking cred for yeah. me, not yeah. for Matt, but just for me. I think that's a trend that we've heard time and again. Obviously, Oren, you espouse the virtues of really thorough Instagram posts all the time. But it is interesting to hear you pinpoint the idea that commercials directors need to think of themselves as a brand. And that is a way of you seeing into how they would interpret perhaps the most important brand um, to them of all, right? Like, like how do you present yourself as part of it? Um, that's really fascinating. Yes. Like if you're a director with a very basic Squarespace white background, thin font, mm -hmm. clicking on a thing and it's like you go down and it's just like the most. And your website is directed thing. by Oren.com. No, your website is, so we're not doing a deep dive of yours. I'm saying in general, yeah. if you have like the most easiest barrier for entry website that you kind of, and I'm not saying you have to hire someone, but put in a little bit of it if you're sitting around bored. But I've also like, I go in hard mm -hmm. on people's websites and i'm like this should even be like a side business even when i meet people i'm like pull up your site let me see i'm like what's this thumbnail this is ridiculous mm -hmm. why is this your font why don't you even just make yourself a logo it's easy do it on freaking ai do something where it's like give a shit a bit more about yourself to make me care about you because i'm bombarded with people and i click and i'm like there's just so much and i'm like if you put in a few more hours of detail to make yourself look really premium on the internet perhaps I will believe that you mm -hmm. are um, as opposed to this. But then there's also people that get to the level that they don't even sure. have a website and that's cool too. But that is like a very different. That's a different deal. Yeah. yeah. I, look, if person. being a director is about having taste, then in every mm -hmm. way that you represent yourself, you're representing your taste. And if yes. your taste is off the shelf, Squarespace, um, you know, maybe that says something about you or maybe it just says something about your priorities. Or maybe you just don't know. Maybe you that just don't know this and no one has said your website looks just like everyone else's and you don't need 22 spots mm -hmm. and you shouldn't host them from your the YouTube thing. You should just download them. And on your Vimeo, when the player comes up, you shouldn't have all these distracting buttons and the title that comes up up top. You should just make sure it's just the spot name with a bunch of not a bunch of unnecessary mm -hmm. words. And right. the credits don't Not even see everyone and their mother on there. And like, curate your spots, your eight best spots. And like, care about the thumbnail. Make it cool. Make it a gift. Like, just put in as much effort as you are going to be when you're pitching a job. And just care, pay attention to detail. And if you can't do it, like, find a friend who can. As a director, too, I would expect there to be like a network of interesting people of taste level or the ability to kind of create that to find someone that you can have help make the website and the vibe. And I can't stress enough what you said about curating your eight best spots. Like when you say spend the time and worry about the details, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. give me seven pages about why storytelling is important to you. It means like do give me the bare minimum for me to quickly get an idea of like who you are in a premium way. So spend more time thinking about the font than writing copy that no one is ever going to read. All killer, no filler. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I think, you know, like what you were saying, Rebecca, about you start seeing a director's name pop up again and mm -hmm. again when you are seeing that they're following someone else. You know, so if you on Instagram, if I go to a DP's 
you know, Instagram, I will see, oh, Rebecca Niles follows this DP mm-hmm. also. That, that makes me think more of the, that DP. And it makes me think, oh, maybe I should bring this DP up to Rebecca next time we, we book a job. To our listeners, what I would recommend to you to do right now is to follow Rebecca Niles at mm-hmm. Rebecca Niles on Instagram, because literally, like, as stupid as that sounds, like, th- those are like following people on Instagram starts getting you into their orbit. Obviously, for following like, yeah. Kim Kardashian or someone with like 50 million. It, it feels followers. obvious, but no, I think you're exactly right. And I think treating it like a business, which I think is the other undercurrent of what you're saying, Rebecca, right? It's like, you know, have two Instagram profiles if you don't want to mix, mix business from pleasure and you want to see photos of, you know, your friend's dogs or whatever. It's not that big a deal. But like the the way that writers used to treat Twitter or the way we treat our websites, Instagram is that that current platform where, you know, discovery happens, basically. I think people want to see your personality, not just your work. Yeah, that's you know? true. And that's what Instagram yeah, is I'm for. Saying, your website is for your work with a little personality and your Instagram is, is like 50 Yeah, but, but what I mean to say is like, uh, you don't have to share photos of your kid and your dog and your brunch, even if like that's part of what you like to do. I think there is, to Rebecca, your point of like wanting to curate a little bit, right, um, in that public pro space whereas oversharing to my parents or whatever is uh, a different instagram experience and you don't have to choose between them you can have both is what i'm saying yeah i mean i think like if you look at like a rachel morrison's instagram she's Mm -hmm. you know famous dp oscar nominated shot marvel movies and oscar winning movies um it's like a bunch of photos of like her kids surfing Mm -hmm. you know and then shots from set and her with actors and her with camera now she's more of like a director mm-hmm. you know um like it, and then there's like reed morano another dp turned director who's like her every single photo on her instagram is like perfect yeah. you know if it if it's her kid if it's the beach if it's a still from one of her movies they're all perfect and rachel's a little bit more like hey i'm just gonna put everything on here you know but i but i think there's something cool like net then like I'm going to have a call with someone about a job like, oh, you have mm-hmm. a you have a kid. What? You know, oh, I saw you're in Silver Lake at this restaurant. Like, I love that restaurant. Like, I think there is like, especially in what we do, Matt, like comedy, like where so many people do things that kind of have a similar feel and vibe, like any things other angle that we can offer to people to to plug in. Yeah. Is helpful. Yeah, I, I, I guess uh, I agree. But I think what I'm trying to say is for people, for directors out there who don't aren't as free with their personal lives as people who have a podcast and talk about, you know, their trials and tribulations. Don't feel like you have to. Rebecca, what do you think? (laughs) I feel strongly that having a hybrid of who you are and your work is your strongest selling point. After a while, there will be a list of directors that could do this spot. Mm-hmm. very far and few between just one or two directors need to do the spot. And that's like the top 3% that most, the utmost echelon of advertising, there will be a point where maybe 15 or 20 directors could do the spot and they need to get the shortlist even down to 10 and then down to three. And they're going to Google you. And in regards to having the, the life pictures either be perfect or have them be free flow. That's where I will say to be yourself. 
if you are someone that is quite curated in your home and in how you dress and how your kids dress and what your dog's name is and the different colors of eggshell white that your various rooms are, let that out on Instagram. I never want anyone to feel like they can't post photos on Instagram because they want it to be so curated and they're a bit paralyzed by it. Have fun with it. Don't take it so seriously that it becomes over the top where it's not you or that you would rather it be perfect than have it be done. Um, I think it's always a mix, but don't be so self-deprecating about it that it becomes almost not interesting. When I speak to people about them posting a ton of photos of their kids on Instagram, like, is there a purpose for it? If there is, and it's like, and it's funny or relatable or all of that, great. I would say gone are the days where it's a bit of just like a dumping ground of, of random things. Just know that that's kind of how you're outwardly facing. But if you want to put kids of post pics of your kids or your dog or your trip to Aruba or like the weird lettuce that you found at the grocery store that that looks like something else. Like I think that all of that is great. Figure out like what is true to you and what's interesting to you. Because also at the end of the day, it's like we're all humans and we want to see that that that's who we are, and that it's not just a bunch of just overly curated thumbnails too. I, I think just having a three sixty of yourself online is great. If you want to just have thumbnails, that that's fine too. But sometimes I get so exhausted like when a director pings me and I just look and I'm like okay it's basically like your website Mm -hmm. light on Mm -hmm. Instagram and then I'm like "Mm." then I also will sometimes do like research I'm like okay they posted this job but it looks a little old Mm -hmm. and then I'm like okay but they just posted this now is it because they don't have anything to post like find something fun like why do we Mm -hmm. care about you like what's your vibe (laughs) the three things that I was like really concerned about um when we first talked and kind of related to what you were saying, Matt, is that you do have a comedy, like a roster with a lot of really (laughs) amazing comedy directors. And I was afraid that I would be like the number four comedy Mm -hmm. director. You know, if Vincent isn't available and Ryan's not available and Paul's not available, like then you get Oren, you know, and I felt like I was going to compete against them on the roster. And do you remember what your answer was to me when I was concerned about that? No. <laughs> remind, remind me. You said you're going to compete against them whether you're on the roster yeah, or not. Right. That's right. Yes. I knew that. I was just curious if you remembered. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that like yeah. kind of rocked my yes. world because I was like, oh, you're saying if I'm submitted by a different company, you'll submit someone. It's actually almost the opposite, which is it happened to us once where if you submit me, then you're not submitting the other. I'm instantly knocking out the other comedy directors on the art class roster. Yes. And you're put up amongst the other comedy directors when the style can go across you and someone else. Um, There's never a world where I get a call from an agency. Hi, I need to know right now, only one Mm -hmm. director and that's, I'm going to award it to. Sometimes clients will ask, who do you think is great for this? And then I, I put up like who is going to serve the job the best, but I give everyone options. No one's ever said, I don't want to look at two. I only want to look at one. That's that's crazy. So while I understand a POV of feeling like, wow, this roster is stacked and I'm the only comedy director, that I would say to veer away from because I know how to look at the different styles of comedy. I know how to run a casting session with comedy, who the right wardrobe people, the right production designers, the right everything to produce around a comedy director and the understanding of pre-pro and 
even giving you time and giving the directors time to like reflect on things and make revisions to treatments and give you space to think about things, which can be quite different from a technically logistical mm-hmm. shoot where we're not so worried about casting. I'm worried about the different machines that we're using and the gear and things like that, where you can be on a roster with other comedy people, make sure that your EP has a deep understanding of the different styles of comedy from situational to dry to family to absurdist to, you know, integrated VFX with expensive wide shots. Um, I feel that I have a deep understanding of the nuances of comedy from a commercial POV, that that's also how I'm able to curate the reels quite well. Or maybe if the spot has dogs in it and you don't have dogs on the reel, but I can understand this, the sensibility mm-hmm. of the humor and put spots with that in there and then throw something on the end that shows that actual ability. But that for me is the most important. And yes, you're up against everyone. If it's, if it's a good job, you're up against everyone. So you may as well be in good company, have an EP that you know will like lay down on the train tracks for you, have a brand that people know and trust and want to get in the mix with, and have someone that you know will give a dependable bid and will be fun to work with and really care about Yeah, you. I'd love that. Right. Well, you... You spun it though in the in the opposite direction. You said art class. We're known for comedy. It would actually mm-hmm. you'll get more opportunities if you're in a place. And Matt, this is kind of goes to your point of like, you know, like on the Kin roster, you were kind of like the comedy, the main comedy person. Like, um, and I was the main comedy person kind of at, at Great Guns, but people weren't going to Great Guns for mm-hmm. comedy nearly as much as they go to art class. Yeah. Yeah, so it, I thought that was that was awesome. I think it's yeah, and and look, there, it, there's plenty of comps in specific specifically in comedy. I feel like there's a lot of houses where it's like, oh yeah, like this is a comedy house. And I think, Orin, your point, you when when you first signed with Rebecca, I remember you telling me that fact, and it was an eye opener for me too because, you know, it is an apprehension all directors have when, you know, Orin and I pitched against each other for years <laughs> you know what i mean it used to there was a period of time where we knew every single person who was up for the job all the time always and that's kind of changed as our careers have all drifted in different directions but um you know it's it's rooted in in, in some anxiety which brings me to i have a, just a logistical question for you rebecca actually um because you you made the point of like everyone's everyone's pitching on everything what what do the numbers look like, not from a budget perspective, but from a number of bids to to like what's a what's a healthy number of bids on a per week or per month basically for a place like art class? Like how do you what what are the numbers you're looking for to keep your roster, you know, happy and healthy and, and busy? You know, what 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 does that churn like for you guys? Are you allowed to say at our busiest? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at our busiest in January, we broke a record of having 25 jobs across pitch and in production. Um, and it was tough to keep up with everything. Mm-hmm. I well, would you say said 25 jobs as in good, like you were in production in one stage or another of on 25 or no? No, across actively pitching and in production. Yeah. So 25 different jobs to manage a, a treatment and mm-hmm. calls and bids and then jobs actively in production. I would say that that was a, you know healthy mm-hmm. for sure. And by the way, January was when surge. 
everyone was saying it's the slowest time. Sure. And Matt was and saying, I was like, well, I was look like, at I the calendar. Sleep. No one yeah, works in January. I was like, Sundance. Yeah. And I was like, we do. We do. I feel like everyone kind of always has a reason. And whether that is like an EP or a rep or whatever, like, oh, well, it's June. And you know that everyone does so-and-so <laughs> in June. Or like, oh, well, it's springtime. So the budgets are resetting. So this or that. And I'm like, no, just work We're trying harder. to the cope, Rebecca. Commercials are always <laughs> Yeah. Don't. This is, I feel like this is probably one of my things I said to Orem. I'm like, okay, give me all of the excuses that you've heard about how it is slow. And I will list you off all of the different jobs that we have. So like right now, I think we currently have we're in pitch for eight jobs and we have another 10 jobs in active production across shooting stateside and shooting overseas. And then a slew of other jobs in post because post just, you know, is, is a beast of its own, but I would say across eight to 10 jobs in active pitch and then between 12 and 15 jobs in active production is healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, When things slim down, I would say probably four to five jobs in pitch. I, I start to, get worried i start to think like what happened um are we on some kind of blacklist that you know we're not working on anything and when i don't have at least like four to five jobs in production too i start to get like what's going on around here our feast and famine has changed so much over the years we're now what i think is just excruciatingly slow and like alarm raising last Mm -hmm. year was oh my gosh we're so fucking slammed and then same with the year before right i remember when we had when i first started at art class and we had two jobs running at the same time and i was like are we rich <laughs> like two jobs at once this is insane like two different people want to work with us at the same time how are we going to do this like now if we only had two jobs like i, I would be like we have to sell the <laughs> office like what are we going to do and, and how does that trickle down then um to your roster of directors like how regular what's the do you have goals or benchmarks for how often an individual is working give or take i have an understanding of what i believe that director will bill on the year ranging from six figures into the millions and kind of knowing at the top of the year like so and so was worth x million for the year from like how they've done the year before, what their conversion rate is. As an overall art class has between a 52 and 56% win rate month over month, where I love data and analytics and keeping track of everything, of who we who we pitched against, what was the budget, where did it come from, what territory, who's been winning a lot, who's been losing a lot. And when people are losing a lot, I'm chatting about why. But an over 50% win rate, from my understanding, is fantastic on a production company's side, um, considering we have a 33% chance each time. Speaking individually about directors on the roster, everyone kind of has their own journey. And some directors have very commercial work that is in demand. And some people go through periods of wanting to lean in and work a lot and then wanting to take a moment where they're not working as much. Some directors get very hot for a season and then it dries out for a season and we can't figure out why. And I spend plenty of time catching up, which I always tell everyone, it's fabulous to catch up. And I love hearing what you're doing. But the more that you're asking me, what are the reps even putting on their my reel? Do the reps even care about me? Should I do this or this? I'm not actively out there finding work. Like I've never come out of a director catch up where we have this bit of like passive aggressive, like, well, where's all of the work? I've never come out of that with work. I've only come out of it with like a wasted 45 minutes of hearing about like 
will either, like, I always want all the directors to be working. I never sign a director thinking, hmm, they're going to sit on the roster for a year because it's, it's such a time commitment for me. And for me too, it's like art class has been built into beachfront property. I want to be really proud of each director and say, my taste level is this, this is their work level. I believe that they'll be bringing both income and cool creative vibes to us. So when I sign someone too, it's like, of course I want you to be working 24 seven and everyone knows I'm like borderline crazy of pushing these directors forward saying like, this is, you're going to be great for this. But after a while, some of it is out of, out of my hands too. So then I'm <laughs> like, if you're chosen, um, the, the, catch ups, <laughs> what, what, what should a director, I, I'm teasing, I'm like, truly teasing. It's, it's teasing not that I don't want to, it's not that I don't want to catch up. It's not that I don't want to catch up. It's just sometimes if you're having a, a slow month or two, it's not because I have forgotten sure, about you or anything like that. It's just, that's what it is. But I also don't like to get on and, and spin, spin stories and yeah. say, oh, well, everyone's on vacation in August. You're just not hot yeah. this month. People just don't want you this month. And that's the plight of being a freelance creative. If you took a full-time salary job, you would get the same paycheck every two weeks. And whether people in the office liked you or not, you would still have <laughs> your, your health insurance and, and you would go to work every day regardless of the the marketplace's opinion on you your choice to be a creative director i mean a a, a freelance creative person uh, in the director space is like it's not always going to be so easy and then i get complaints when it's slow and then i get complaints when it's too busy oh well now i don't have time to do anything i have too many treatments i'm traveling too much and then it dies down well where is all of the work do the reps even care about me what's going on i was pitching all these jobs and it's just like the ability to hold on and realize that like the road is long and to know that if you're on a roster that you believe in the reps and you believe in the EPs and you believe in the company, know that there's so much work behind mm-hmm. the scenes happening 24 seven. Cause like, I wouldn't, there, there, I, I get nothing from a director not working at yeah. all. Like I you get things it. when you guys yeah, do yeah. work. And everyone listening we to all, this podcast has been at a place where they've talked to like, their EP, their agent, their manager. They're like, yeah, last month was great. We had these opportunities. They didn't go anywhere. And now I feel like you've given so up. So loud and clear, your point about like, everyone wants wants the directors to be working. Is there anything we can do? Rather than catch up. You know what I mean? Like, like that's clear. Like, the, the just checking in email. Yeah. It hurts to send as much as it hurts to receive, right? <laughs> I don't even sometimes know what to say back. Like, yes, of course I remember you. I represent you, of course. Like, oh, sorry, who is this? Oh, oh, Oren, what's up? No, Oren is never slow enough to send me a ketchup email. Oren's like, please leave me alone. It's 8 p.m. on a Saturday. And I'm like, do you have any dogs? Um, There is plenty to do. Whether just figuring out how to even make yourself more marketable, knowing it's such a hard question too because i get asked this and i'm like make something even fun or cool mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a whole big thing where you're like investing and in making a short film or anything but also kind of find find your own mental health space that when things are slow that you're not spiraling or doubting yourself or anything and just know that like 
if you have representation in the US, can you be looking at other representation areas in Canada, in London, overseas, anything like that? Like, how can you be productive in a way that's also caring for yourself and having the faith that your company is doing everything? But also know that like, if, if you're doing check-ins and it is kind of all BS or you're being kind of told things and nothing is happening, also know when it's time to maybe start to get the attention of someone mm-hmm. else too. I, I brush off the thing where I say to do catch-ups, but I feel like majority of our roster is quite busy and sometimes it can be jarring if they're not working for a month or two because of the volume that we mm-hmm. do. We're a very busy production company. So for me, I'm always like, oh my God, come on, we're going to catch up. But I'm like, I'm going to get you shortlisted of something in like the next month. There's like, give me a beat. You just came off of a big job kind of thing. If you're feeling lost or stuck, do go in for catch-ups and ask what what's going on and, and try to like uncover your EP or your, your manager, however, um, like what are their motives and not in a way that's going to kind of trigger any defensiveness or to cover things up, get to know them on a personal level, develop a connection with them. And then, yeah, does your website need to be updated? You need to make some friends. You need to go out and about and like find some stuff to do. But also like figure out some things to do outside of all of this to keep yourself busy. And if money is an issue, you know, pinging me to tell me about your upcoming bills and say that you need to get shortlisted on something. It's like a net, it's like a net zero mm-hmm. situation. You're not going to get anything from that. Because what am I going to do? Send an email to the agency and say, oh, please double check this mm-hmm. reel because, you know, they have a mortgage payment due. Like, of course not. That's That's really out of my out of my control. I know we've already been talking for an hour. So I want to just like touch because this was the main topic that I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about on like what you see directors, you know, primarily in short form, like either YouTube, Instagram, commercials, short films do that gets you excited and makes you feel like you can mm-hmm. sell them. Obviously we know right now you're kind of, you know, cultivating like a roster of comedy and culture type of people and and there are other holes that like you need to fill sometimes but in general what are the things that get you excited about someone's work and what are the things that directors might think are exciting about themselves that don't really get you excited about it's kind of a complicated question but um but I, i guess i'll give you an example um which is something that you told a friend a director friend of ours um a is that you see a lot of celebrities in a medium shot on a background sitting down, not doing anything. And that a lot of directors have that type of thing, you know, at the level that of directors that you're looking at, you know? Um, so uh, that, that maybe tra- if you have a celebrity, I'm trying to do something more exciting than having them sit down in, in a medium shot in front of a, you know, a background. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the, the stuff that gets you excited on, when you just look at director's work or, or director's background or anything. Absolutely. So when I'm looking at new directors, overall kind of taste level and ability to work with what they have and not kind of have excuses for not having the right kind of resources. It's always very exciting, but for me too, I'm like, what are your abilities for directorial POV and sense of style outside of the table stakes crew that comes along with every production mm-hmm. so when i'm pitched of like this same set director that that i said you know a, a celebrity medium shots are a dime a dozen i was also pitched about the ability to you know have monochromatic sets 
And I said, you know, that's a production designer's job to have an orange desk and an orange typewriter and an orange cup and an orange chair and then chat with a wardrobe person and have them be in all orange and all of that. And that's not for me what I think a director make. For me, I'm like, what is the, what did you push for on the shot list? What is the extra joke that you got in there? How did you make this person so comfortable that you were able to have them kind of not be so clammy, mm-hmm. whether it's a, an athlete that you're shooting, that you made them feel a bit more comfortable? What did you push for on the production design side that you put in the extra time and it wasn't just, you know, the path of least resistance on, on the set? Um, I mean, I feel like I can tell a cheap set from a mile away and that's not only about money it's even just about like figuring out what can just be a little bit different like one of the directors that that I've worked with we were doing a a cheap a very low budget job that involved cats and a scientist and I said please if you do anything please do not order a lab coat from Amazon two days before the shoot and leave it unsteamed and put some silly little thing on there like find yourself even if you buy it and return it right but i'm like figure out the things that are going to look cheap and make them look better and sometimes that's digging in a bit more like i can just tell when i'm watching a commercial a bunch of cheap zara blazers or when people are doing spec work and they have their phone that the the person's using the phone on the spec work and i can see a fingerprint things like that where i'm just like really care so much about the details because when a brand is going to hire you. You have to be responsible for from the biggest things of executing this whole commercial and leading a crew and running communication from me to your line producer, to the agency, to the client, to your DP, all of that, down to the smallest little details of seeing if like the hair looks a little funky. Because you know when we're in the edit room, all we're going to pay attention to is a little thing coming out the side or she's got a little cross in her eye, anything like from the biggest things down to the smallest. So when I'm looking at reels, I'm like, what do you really give a shit about and whether that's casting or styling or production design all that i look at a reel and i'm like okay what what kind of jobs are they doing and if they're lower budget jobs which i i'm working with a new director duo now that are new to the scene and they do like fun but they all their comedy work they had done themselves and i was looking at it and i was like wait who who paid for these like no i worked at a camera rental house this summer so i got access to really great lenses and i taught myself how to shoot and all of that. And I'm like, this is great. This is, you know, like it's not proper spots, but it got them sold through to do some lower budget comedy work that is, it will happen. But just that like commitment level to all of it. Cause I do feel like, I feel like on an overall level, there's too much. There's too many directors. There's too many EPs. There's too many production companies, too many agencies. There's too many commercials. We don't need any more sixes. We don't need any, all of this stuff. There's too much. So to stand out from the crowd, to have a commitment level where I feel like there's kind of this expectation out. Everyone needs to be a director. Oh, well, I need this opportunity. Or I, it, it's a hard job. It requires a lot of commitment. There's a lot of money at stake. There's a lot of, a lot of people. You're selling a product, an agency, and a brand is investing a lot. So to just assume because you have two or three spots and you're passionate, you love Wes Anderson or whatever – that you just now need to become a commercial director and you're going to email me over and over and say it, like (laughs) commit to it. You know, you don't need a college degree for it. You don't need an insurance package. Like you're going to be a doctor. You don't need an office. You don't need a team. So like figure out like really why you give a shit. And I can see it on, on the reels, the commitment level and what they're adding to the spot outside of directing the crew to do what they have (laughs) with the budget they have. 
And I don't do well with directors that used to be producers because they're all caught up in the shit that is my job. I tell the directors, drive me crazy and I'll tell you when to stop. Push it. Push, push, push the limits. Push that you want better wardrobe. Push that you need the best stylist. Push that you need better casting in more of this. And it's, believe me, I will tell you when you've run out of money or run out of time, but the directors that I feel like do so well, just fucking push on it. I'm like, drive the line producer so crazy to the point where they're calling me at 10 p.m. and being like, the asks are unreasonable. Great, we'll dial it back. It's so much easier to pare things back, but choose a few things that we want to plus up from all of the requests. But don't worry about being reasonable. Being reasonable, I think, won't get you anywhere. That is incredible advice. You need to be kind. You need to be kind and collaborative. And prepared. Fight. Right? Yes, and prepared. But fight for what you want. Because all these people that you're being so friendly with and all of this, I don't know. We're not really here for like a barbecue. We're not here to kind of make friends. The people that are dedicating their time and missing their, their dinners home with their family because over time we all of that they want the work to be really good to continue to elevate them too but yeah sometimes it's crunch time and you have to make decisions but push for the things that you want in in pre-pro and be really prepared but be kind because the days of which i everyone says are the days of the 90s directors being you know so difficult and divas are over they are but i also feel like the days of like really caring about your craft to stand out from the crowd because anyone and their mother can you know throw four things on Vimeo that they shoot with their friends. If you live in LA, you can figure out how to get some stuff up on Vimeo, figuring out really how to stand out from the crowd and trusting your producers will tell you when you need to stop is, is really the goal. No, I I love it. I love it. I I always say like no one ever watches anything and says, wow, I bet they wrapped on time. Boy, I bet the schedule was airtight (laughs) on that shoot. That was the Duplass brothers, their first movie they did. They were like, we wrapped on time every single day. Everyone was happy. Everyone. Well, you can push for what you want and have it be great and not fuck up the day and be so over. I'm not saying be unreasonable to the point of being destructive to the the filmmaking process. But I'm saying it's like taking the extra time to work with your stylist to make sure that you're not getting just a bunch of pulls from Zara that you don't care about. Like figure out what you really want to focus on and go through mood boards and figure out if you have a lab coat, it shouldn't be the thinnest piece of white with this little thing on it. Like really like care about Mm -hmm. the things, but do that in pre-pro and build strong connections with great people in the industry, you know, find great people that you admire their work. How can you help them reaching out and wanting, okay, I want to work with this person. What are you offering them in exchange to say, Oh, I want this DP to come work with me, but I'm a new junior director. And, you know, they're probably charging, you know, $8,000 for a day and I don't, don't even have any money at all. What can you offer to them as opposed to always going with an empty cup, figuring out how to get them into your universe and believe in you and all of that? Maybe they want to be a director or maybe they want to get to know you or maybe you can do anything for them too to get them to be excited about you, to have them involved in your career that's leveling up. Yeah. One of the best pieces of advice I got from another producer uh was and he said it personally to me he said you know you're so easy to work with but you need to be a little more selfish on set he said the directors i see that are really kind of climbing the ladder very fast it's not that they're mean it's not that they're jerks it's not it's never that they're unprepared but they will fight for this wide shot that they know is going to be the thumbnail on their website for this 
ad agency, even if they're running a little behind and everyone from the agency to the client is like, we don't need that shot. They'll still go and get it. Just and that's it. like, yeah. that's, that's like kind of, I think just the amount of it. pushing. Yes. Just shoot your shot. You never want to stop, but unfortunately uh, our time has come to an end and we will have to stop, stop soon. Uh, do you have a few more moments to hang out and endorse with us? Of course. Unpaid endorsements. Okay. So my unpaid endorsement is a, uh, an artist I found on TikTok, just through whatever. And before you all cringe with the statement, let me just say it's he's the real deal. But he is a mixed media AI artist. And I know I roll my eyes at the idea of AI. But so his name is Mowgli Lee, M-O-W-G-L-Y space Lee. Oh, I see it. Um, he goes by Mowgsley yeah. on TikTok. What's cool about him is that he just does these these big kind of, you know, otherworldly vignettes. It feels very 70s. It feels like the the, you know, David Lynch Dune, like really kind of like throwbacky sci-fi vibes, but he does a great job of mixing AI with live action video in a way that just makes it feel so much more intentional and less happenstance and less cheese ball than I think a lot of quote unquote AI artists out there. So I think there's a lot that's happening there. That's really cool. Whether you're into it or not, I think it is like a cool way to look at the potential behind uh, some of these new tools and put something new together. Mowgli on TikTok, M O W G S L E E. And his name is Mowgli Lee is what he goes by on TikTok. Mine isn't like, cool okay. like this though mine is like mine is this um do you guys know the the guy will Godara? he used to own 11 madison park in in new york uh it's already much cooler than <laughs> the preamble would allude to no what a place in new york <laughs> yeah. will Godara? yeah so he used to own 11 madison park and he now has um this kind of I don't know what this this ethos or this kind of life perspective called unreasonable hospitality that I have found to just really enhancing my life and my interaction with people both at work and outside of it, where he tells the story that, that kind of began all of this, that he, you know, 11 Madison Park, it's, it's the best, one of the best restaurants in New York. And, you know, it takes forever to get in and Michelin and all of the, the best of the best. And there was a table of guys sitting there for lunch one day speaking about how they'd been to all the best restaurants in all of New York and chatting through each of them. And I said, but God, the only thing that we didn't get to have the whole time being in New York is a hot dog from a stand. And so he heard that and he ran down the street, grabbed a hot mm-hmm. dog, brought it into the Michelin kitchen, fought with the chef. The chef chopped it up, put it on a plate and brought it over to them. And they said that it was the best reaction. He said he served, you know, the best meals all in all of New York. And that was the best reaction that they ever got, like listening to what they really wanted because they weren't going to have time to do that and figuring out how to understand someone's needs on a more personal level and make them feel inherently very special. Like the difference of a realtor leaving you a bottle of wine versus, you know, hearing that your wife does yoga and finding a little section in the, in the house to get you a yoga mat and a block when you close on a house as opposed to the, the standard, you know, bottle of champagne, things like that. It's interesting to think about how 
really finding time to listen to people and figuring out how to connect with them on a special level that doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, that hot dog was $2 and, you know, things like that. So that I really enjoyed doing on, on a personal level and, and on a work level, of course, it's, it's out of this world. You know, we met someone that loves Mm -hmm. golf and coffee and hot sauce. And I sent an art class backpack with his name on the golf balls and three different kinds of hot sauce and, and all these different kinds of coffee. And I found that just from Googling him. And he was like, and he had a heart attack a few days later. He was like, holy shit. How did you know all of this? So just little things. And it was cheap. It, you know, it, it didn't have to be expensive at all. So unreasonable hospitality has become part of my repertoire. I have a really bad one, so I have a lot Great. of them. Loved Black Mirror season six. If you want to know the two best episodes, it's the Joan is awful with Andy Murphy, and the one with uh, I don't even remember what it's called. The one with um, Jesse Pinkman and Josh Hartnett. Those two episodes, season six. I mean, I know there's been a lot of seasons. It's kind of hard to keep track of when it's coming out, when it's not coming out, and I feel like. There wasn't a huge splash with the latest season, but those two episodes, like, I just, I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking about them so much. And now just a quick list of three things I didn't love. Super seedy cheese snack bites at Trader mm-hmm. Joe's. They're trying to push them all over the place, every aisle. They're just like, the peppering in them is so uneven. One mm-hmm. will like make you mm-hmm. die and the next one will have like no pepper in it. Just so you know, Rebecca, I usually love every snack that Trader Joe's Are makes. people still listening at this point to you, your rants about, about Trader Joe's? We have a small, a small group of people that only tune in for my Trader Joe's recommendations. Analytics are inconclusive. <laughs> How to with John Wilson. Oh, man. Wait, you don't like it? No. Uh, Oren. I, I like it. I like the idea. I don't, know, I don't know that I've ever disagreed with you more on an uh, an endorsement. That's insane. You don't like it? No, I, of course I know. It's like EP'd by Nathan Fielder. Of course you're going to think it's amazing. But it's it's fine. But like it could be a YouTube well, video. It was. Like it, it doesn't was, need to be. It was Vimeo. Um, <laughs> Vimeo staff picks for uh, like 10 years before that. I don't know, man. I... That's what it felt like. A Vimeo staff pick <laughs> 10 years ago. It was really well done. <laughs> But like I try to watch it with my wife who's just like a normal human being when it comes to taste of <laughs> entertainment. And she just like the episode on finding a public restroom in New York, she was tuned out like four frames. That is that uh, a show that is the opposite of what they call a second screen show. Like most shows now, networks are like, well, you need to be able to be on your phone and also be able to watch it. You have to be paying attention because if you're only listening to it, it's just like a stilted dialogue. Like the jokes don't land because they're visual. The last one, loved Barbie, Oppenheimer, big meh. <laughs> why, why is the three over three hours long? Uh, and they still add 25 minutes of trailers. Like why, I, you know, I, I just felt like there's 20 storylines and you only needed like two. And I never even learned how an atom bomb works. <laughs> um, this is the only reason I really went to see that movie. Also, don't go watch it at 10.30 p.m. at the Grove. <laughs> very long and my parking was $18 like after validation like what is going on in this world that's crazy well Rebecca have you seen how to with John Wilson do you want to break the tie I have not I have not seen it no but just from like vibes alone um um (laughs) no just from like affiliation I would say I like it I'll probably never watch it, but I'll just say that I like it. And I think that it's great just from like my understanding mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> it's cool. I love it. 
yet. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I do love it a lot. I feel like I, I, just, I identify with like the cool vibes. Okay, so Rebecca, we already told people if they want to find you, Instagram, right? At Rebecca Niles. Anywhere else? Instagram and my website, RebeccaNiles.com. Ooh, cool. And ArtClassContent.com. It's a website you can check out also. Yeah. If you want Rebecca to sign you, just email us, just mm-hmm. shoot a pod at gmail.com. We will explain to you why she's not going to. Um, but if you have any other notes or questions or anything, um, we'd love to hear from you. We're at just shoot a pod across all social media. I'm on Instagram at O Kaplan. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media, especially Letterboxd. I see you, everyone. Slowly getting more Letterboxd fans. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. Uh, And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.